Welcome everybody to this panel discussion and fundraising event called DSA for the Miners. My name is Chris Eisler. I'm one of the co-chairs of the Birmingham chapter of Democratic Socialists of America. I'll be moderating tonight's discussion um, and guiding us as we move through the night. I'm gonna give a brief introduction to the strike um, and this DSA effort in particular to support. Um, and then we'll hear from each of our speakers about the strike. Um, talking about their experience, the context of this labor action within everything else going on within the labor movement um, here in Alabama, um, across the South and across the country. Um, if you have any questions for the panel or for any of the speakers, um, you can share them using the Q&A, the questions function on Zoom, um, which will be uh, along the bottom of your uh, screen. Uh, or you can feel free to type them in the chat. We're gonna keep track of them there as well. Um, we'll be collecting some of the best questions, so make sure it's a good one. Um, and uh, once every of the once all the speakers have shared on their topic, um, we'll discuss those questions among the panel. Um, all right, so I'm going to give just a very quick introduction to the strike, and then we're going to start to hear from the folks at um, the UMWA. So, on April 1st, 2021. About 10 months ago, and right as the union election at the Amazon warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama was coming to a close, over a thousand UMWA mine workers began an unfair labor practice strike against Warrior Met Coal. Warrior Met has refused to bargain in good faith with the workers in the mines, who had made tremendous sacrifices to save their jobs and communities following the company's bankruptcy in 2016. They made those sacrifices with the assurances that when the company was back from the brink, they would be made whole at the next contract negotiation. Despite Warrior Met's continuing profits throughout the pandemic, um, they have refused to give the miners what they were owed. This strike has been long and difficult, but it's laid the foundation for the very visible strikes of last October and November at John Deere, Nabisco, Kellogg, and elsewhere. And the strike has continued long after the spark of Striketober has cooled. DSA chapters across the South and beyond, led by us in Birmingham, North Alabama, and Charleston, South Carolina, are coming together during the month of February to make it clear that the strike at Warrior Met is not forgotten, that the workers have our unending solidarity, and that we as DSA members and chapters across the country will show up for labor. So we wanna hear more about this strike from the folks who have been experiencing it. So we're gonna go first to Braxton Wright. And Braxton, if you could introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself and <clears throat> talk to us about the experience of being on strike. And also, um, you know, what, what, what it was like working with Warrior Met before the strike. Yes, uh, my name is Braxton Wright. Uh, I'm a control room operator at number five prep plant. Uh, I've been in the mines about 17 years. Uh, I guess before the strike, you know, this or after the bankruptcy, the, the company, just the way they done things, the way they treated people, it, it just wasn't the same, you know, as the old company. Uh, you know, not just the concessions you know that we took in the contract during the bankruptcy but uh you know this ridiculous four strike program they had to where 
you know, no matter what, even if you had a doctor's excuse, you know, they wouldn't accept it. They would give you a strike, you know, and your fourth strike, you was terminated. Uh, I mean, it's just, it was tough before the strike, you know, and, and we had no choice. I mean, we had to fight to get back just the dignity and respect from the company, you know, not just the, you know, the, the insurance and the pay and the benefits, but we just want them to recognize us as being important and being, you know, the reason that they're making the profits. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about, um, what it's been like, um, since the bankruptcy, um, and you know, why, why it is that you and the other workers have, um, have, you know, voted and stuck with this strike, um, for this long. You know, one of the things we wanted to get back was our insurance. You know, uh, we wanted to get our holidays back, you know, so now we're only off, you know, three physical holidays, which is Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. But uh, so a lot of it's just uh, the respect and the, you know, the just the importance of the workers herself, you know, just. You know, like I said, uh, during the concessions, you know, we took a, a $6 an hour pay cut, which, you know, that, you know, that's a lot in itself, but a lot of it, they took away the way they paid us our overtime also. You know, it used to be like anything over eight hours uh, was overtime. You know, Saturday was time and a half and Sunday was double time. You know, a lot of your guys, a lot of your mechanics that was out there on Sunday, you know, that's, that's where you made your money was, you know, your double time shifts doing, you know, the, the maintenance that nobody else wanted to do. But, uh, you know, even like they, they took away, you know, say even if we work an eight hour shift, they'll pay us for seven and a half hours. You know, where are we supposed to go for our lunch break? You know, we don't get to sit down and take a lunch. You know, we get to take lunch. It's just wherever we happen to be. And then, and then they're, they're going to dock us, you know, 30 minutes. Even if you don't get to sit down and they take your break, they still dock you 30 minutes and won't pay you through lunch. I mean, it's just the lack of respect they have for their wars, you know, just just increased over the last couple of years to the point to where it was just, you know, we had no choice just to, you know, to try to fight back, to try to gain some of the, the stuff we lost in the contract, but to try to gain, you know, our, our respect as a coal miner back. Yeah, can you tell us some more about um, what the what the folks that are on strike right now are feeling? Um, you know, obviously it's been a long time, um, but how's everybody feeling? Do you think this has brought folks closer together? Yes, I, it, it has brought, you know, coal miners have always been close but I think it weeded out the weak ones. I mean, it, the, for the majority of it, it has brought us a lot closer together. And, uh, you know, morale still high. I mean, we have our ups and downs, you know, and then, you know, small acts of, you know, solidarity come in, you know, to boost the, the morale right back up. You know, uh, our Christmas event, which was a huge success, was just something that was just amazing if you could have seen. I mean, uh, you know, just things like that, you know, the, the solidarity, the donations from all over the world, you know, even just, you know, if even if it's not a donation, you know, just a solidarity message from, you know, people like at, at Walmart or at other, you know, small locations, you know, that, 
that helps as much as, you know, a lot of times just the messages of solidarity help as much as the, you know, the monetary donations to, you know, just keep that morale up, just to keep pushing and fighting, you know, just a little bit longer. Can you talk about some of the uh, the challenges that you, um, some of the challenges that come with a really long strike? Um, I know that the challenges are a little bit different. Um, you know, the first month of the strike by the time that you get to the 10th month. Um, can you talk about what it's like um, for your family and all that stuff, um, sticking through the strike for so long? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we've had to cut back on, you know, a lot of things, uh, you know, maybe cable TV or, you know, maybe going out to eat as much or. Yeah, well, yeah, we went out without our air con our heating and air unit was actually down for two months. But uh, luckily, I found a way to come up with the money to replace it. Uh, luckily, I had the experience to replace it myself. So that, that saved me about four thousand dollars. But uh, yeah, it's just. Uh, I know that you've um, had to uh, you've had to find a, a little bit of work to supplement that, um, and keep everything going. Can you talk about um, you know what kind of work you do um, in the meantime? Yes, yeah, so actually, uh, kind of applied for Amazon. You know, kind of kind of as a joke, and then uh, they hired me. So I've been at Amazon and in Bessemer since uh september you know and i've been wearing my my camo about every i wear my camo at least once a week or or you know some of the usw shirts that they uh they made for us or uh some form of union you know attire every day so i've been kind of you know pushing the 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 solidarity you know message you know more like telling them what you know you know the union has done for us and uh I think it's helped open a lot of their eyes that they, you know, they need a union, you know, to, to stop the way that Amazon treats them like little kids, you know, and like a robot. But uh, That's really interesting um, to see the connection between, um, you know, the Amazon fight in Bessemer and the UMWA strike just down the road. Um, can you? T I saw a question in the chat, and um, if you have questions, drop them there, and we'll get to them later. But uh, how did you get into uh, mining um, as a profession? Uh, my grandfather was a miner for Black Diamond, and uh, he actually lived in a uh, Black Diamond camp. Uh, my uh, they moved to West Bluffton, you know, to live in a Black Diamond camp. Um, my, my grandfather was actually injured in a mining accident and then passed away not long after. And uh, my dad, my dad lied to him at, at about 17 and he went to work for the mines. And uh, he did, he worked there about two years before he got out, and uh, which the Black Diamonds was kind of shutting down in the area anyway. But uh, he decided it wasn't for him. And then uh, I had the opportunity to go in which me is a little different story. I actually went in through on the company side. I started off in the quality control and was actually a company boss until the bankruptcy when they got rid of all of the, the guys that was there long enough to, uh, to draw a pension. Uh, they fired all of us. So when I had the chance to go back in 2017, 
as a uh, control room operator for the UWA, you know, I, I said, yes, I, I joined the union and went to run the control room. That's a really incredible story. Um, seeing it in your family and then going to the, uh, going to the strike uh, or going to uh, the mines um, and then bring, bringing your strike solidarity to uh, the BHM one uh, facility in Bessemer. Um, any final thoughts about um, your experience on the strike before we move on to our next speaker? Uh, it's a lot harder than what I was expecting it to be as far as, uh, you know, I wasn't expecting as much, you know, support, I guess, from the, the law enforcement and from the, the talking heads of Alabama toward the company. You know, I was kind of uh, maybe expecting more you know, support toward the workers instead of toward the companies. And uh, I think that shocked me and a lot, you know, uh, me as a used to be Republican, you know, I think that uh, a lot of the ones that voted Republican has opened their eyes to uh, say that maybe they care so much about workers as they do companies and corporations. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's, it seems like the strike has definitely brought a lot of that out. Um, well, thank you so much, Braxton, um, for, for sharing about your experience in the strike. Um, so next, uh, we are going to go to um, Larry Spencer, uh, the International Vice President for District 20. Um, and Larry, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like leading a strike? Um, just in general, but particularly for a strike that's been going on uh, for this long. Yeah, my, na my name is Larry Spencer, and I apologize for the video. I'm sitting in a car really waiting to go into another meeting, uh, and I thought I'd get on here for a short, quick, you know, just a quick time and before I went into this Labor Council meeting. Uh, but my name is Larry Spencer. I'm the vice president of the United Mine Workers in Alabama. And uh, I'm the uh, person that's in charge, one of the people that's in charge of this strike here in Alabama. And it's been real tough on all of the people. Uh, you know, they're uh, 10 months is a long time to be on strike. And uh, you know, these guys have really stayed strong. Uh, we've had a few that's crossed the picket lines, but uh, as a whole, we've we've kept the biggest majority of them have stayed strong and, uh, you know, with solidarity and fighting hard to uh, keep everybody uh, going. Uh, it's, um, it's something that, you know, you never <laughs> – when we started this, I don't think anybody expected it to be a 10 month strike or longer. Uh, we expected it to probably last a couple of months and get everybody back to work. And uh, this starting February 1, we're starting on our 11th month, actually. Uh, to break it down, I think it's 312 or 13 days today. And uh, so that's a long time for these guys to be on strike. But with the help of the uh, auxiliaries, uh, we've got 
two different or actually four, but it's two that's uh, uh, formed from four different unions. The auxiliaries have been doing a good job of keeping the pantries going and doing the toy drives for Christmas and all the other unions have really pitched in. Uh, you know, we, uh, um, like Braxton said, we did the Christmas uh, during, you know, December and, uh, you know, to see those children get the toys that they wanted, you know, even with their parents on strike was really something, you know, so, uh, and it all came from other unions and people that's chipped in that supported us. Uh, uh, I think Braxton mentioned the fact that we've got letters and support and money from people from Walmart, uh, from IBW, from, uh, from all over the place, just uh, money pouring in. Uh, that that's really helped these guys. Um, now you know they they are getting a strike check, you know, from the United Mine Workers. Uh, and it's uh, eight hundred dollars every two weeks, uh, but every other week they get a another check that is coming from the people that's donating to uh, try to keep this going and it's been averaging about $200 uh, each time that we do the donation check and uh, so that's helped a lot and uh, you know just to keep these people going and trying to get their uh, what they've asked for you know they've uh, they they hadn't asked for a lot. They just asked to get back what they lost in 2016. So uh, just wish this company would just, you know, do what they need to do and quit, quit greasing their pockets with the money and let the people that go down there and earn the money, you know, mining the coal and everything, let them get what they deserve back. Uh, but yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, uh, it's you really been a tough strike. You mentioned uh, folks that are, uh, you know, greasing their pockets with with money who aren't doing the work. Uh, I know that y'all have had to take the strike uh, beyond uh, the picket line in Brookwood um, and travel to to Wall Street um, and beyond. Can you talk about, uh, you know, what that's like to? to bring the strike action beyond, uh, beyond Alabama? Yeah, we've kept people in New York, uh, pretty regular in front of Black Rock. Uh, Black Rock is the, uh, biggest investor that this company has. And, uh, we've kept people standing in front of their door that's had a, uh, informational picket line about, you know, uh, what's going on here in Alabama so that we can keep uh, the Black Rock uh, CEO and executive boards and stuff of Black Rock uh, try to keep them understanding that, you know, if they'd step up and, and tell this company to uh, 
you know, get a contract, they would because they are the biggest investor out there of, of this company. So, but it's, we've, uh, there, I know there's people there's, I think we've got like 17 people up there right now that's, uh, goes to their door every, every morning when they open and they stay there until they close every evening, uh, in their camouflage shirts with, we are one on them and, uh, making sure that they see the coal miners out there. We, and, and it's not just been New York. We've been to California, uh, been to Boston, been to, uh, Texas. Uh, we've carried it anywhere that we thought that, uh, investor was that would help us to, uh, get this thing settled. Um, how, how confident are you, um, now that, uh, you all are going to be able to hold this and get a contract that you all deserve? I know it's been a long time, um, but how, how, how are y'all feeling on the, on the line now? Uh, we're, we're feeling good. Uh, you know, uh, it's been a long time, but, uh, you know, when you, uh, when you stay out this long, you get weary, but, uh, we're, we're going to be here until there is a contract. We're not leaving. Uh, they, they, uh, they thought they got rid of us for a while and they found out we're, we're still here and we're going to be here until this contract settled. Uh, and we're hoping that it'll be soon. Uh, so this is the longest strike in history in Alabama. And, uh, this, you know, there's been longer strikes other places and we're fixing to, <laughs> we're fixing to pass a couple of those. I think the piston strike, I think it's the, uh, I think it was, uh, a little over 10 months and we're coming up on uh, probably going past it. And But those are records we really didn't want to break. We was wanting to uh, get this thing settled without doing that. But we're, we are confident that we're going to win this strike. And we're confident that you're going to win it too. And that's why we're here tonight. Uh, just last question, Larry. Um, thanks so much again for being able to join us. I know you're in the middle of, uh, you know, being being a leader in the strike um, and being a labor leader in Alabama. But for folks who um, who are on the call and beyond who who want to support the strike um, or want to support strikes in their area, uh, you know, wh what do you recommend they uh, what action do you recommend they take uh, to make sure that workers know that they have their support? You know, uh just showing solidarity means a lot. Just uh, when you see people on strike, you know, blow your horn and, and let them know that you support them, uh, you know, and uh, stop by and, and let them know that you're you're there to, to support them. The money means a lot because, you know, when you're on strike, you're, you're doing everything you can to uh, pay your power bill and, uh, buy groceries and, and, you know, do keep your family going. So a little bit of donation always helps. And, and it doesn't matter if it's a dollar or $5 or $20, you know, it, it takes a lot to run a strike, uh, for sure. Uh, 
So the donations helps quite a bit, but uh, the solidarity means a tremendous amount. Uh, you know, just seeing the people uh, every every morning we're out at the picket line and people coming by and blowing the horn. Of course, some of them blow the horn tell us we're number one and you know we don't need that type of support we need support blowing our horn and telling us hey we got your back you know and uh let the companies know that the workers are are tired and we're not going to keep putting up with the way the companies are treating the workers out there uh, it's time for labor to uh take these con this, this country back over and um uh, let these companies that are, you know, abusing their labor and stuff know that uh, we're all going to support each other and uh, we're going to get this country back to where it should be. Because uh, that's that's who made this country. The people in labor is the one that made the country. It's not the not the people that are rich and everything they didn't make it it's the ones that did it with their hands and built the bridges and the buildings and mine the coal and, uh you know put the oil wells together and uh pump the gas and cleaned your windshield and stuff that's who made this country so just let everybody know that you you got their back that's the main thing absolutely well larry thank you so much um Really appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk with us tonight. Um, and thanks to everybody um, who's joining the call tonight to, um, you know, for joining the call and showing your solidarity. Um, you can see in the chat, we're going to keep pumping this uh, GoFundMe fundraiser um, that will be raising this money for these miners in Brookwood to make sure that everybody is able to pay their power bill, stay one day longer on the strike and get get a fair contract. Um, so next up, we're gonna go to uh, Jacob Morrison, um, the host of the Valley Labor Report. Um, so Jacob is a, an expert in labor in Alabama, um, but is also um, has a particular insight into the context of uh, the context of some of the strike breaking tactics um, that the companies have been using the company has been using so let me uh let's make jacob here yeah so jacob um first introduce yourself um and then uh, tell us a little bit about um you know what this strike has looked like from the perspective of you know some of the companies and the state's actions to try and um bring it down Right, right. Well, I uh, um, I appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity to contribute. Um, I when we did our fundraiser last year, um, I had somebody, I, Max Alvarez. Uh, he's a good friend of mine, and he told me that um, he's a night owl and he can't be up really early in the morning, and so. Uh, I asked him to come on to a uh, 5 a.m. slot, and <laughs> he said he'd do anything for the workers. So that's uh, that's kind of the attitude that I try to take with me, is I'll do anything for the workers. 
And uh, um, and of course, this isn't nearly as bad as as being on at a <laughs> 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning. So I appreciate the opportunity, and I appreciate y'all for putting this together. Um, DSA has really, really been a strong ally of the miners in this fight and of workers across the South and across the country um, during this time of during this time of of. Uh, you know, workers fighting back, like Larry was talking about. I appreciate Braxton's testimony, his bravery, and, and the fight of all the other miners down there in Brookwood. Um, and I appreciate Larry's work doing all that he can to keep folks together in a context that really is not easy. Um, what the UMWA has down in Brookwood, I think, is, is really something special. Um, a group of hundreds of folks in a rural community in Alabama that are willing to put their livelihoods on the line and for so long for one another. Um, it takes work to make that happen. And and I know that the folks down there are working really hard. Um, and so I was asked to talk about the strike-breaking tactics that the company had been using and um, that the company, the state, had been using the context that this is taking place in. And, and of course, this is something that we've been talking a lot about on the show, and I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, and no one, uh, uh, you know, no one needs to be told, of course, that the miners have been facing a hard fight. Uh, we all know that. But maybe maybe some folks don't know some of the specifics. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. Since the strike began, of course, the company has bring, been bringing in scabs. And that's a polite word for them, I think. Uh, class traders, scum, bottom feeders, bootlickers, those are all also applicable. Um Bringing in scabs is one of the chief ways that companies will attempt to break strikes. When workers strike, they withhold their labor. And so if you can bring in some spineless dogs to make up for some of the lost labor, then it hurts the company less. And uh, I believe scabs together with the company are engaged in a form of theft, stealing jobs from the rightful laborers and stealing value from the community that they are flown into. Uh, and not only this, but to twist the knife and to entice more scabs, they're often compensated more highly than the workers uh, before they went on the strike. And that's the case here. Um, but as Brother Cecil Roberts said, uh, the international UMWA president, the only reason that they're getting that much money is because the union that preceded them. And even though uh, uh, they're actively working to undermine its presence. And if the scabs in the company are successful, those wages will go down, the benefits will disappear, and uh, the unchecked greed of the New York hedge funders that own this mine will uh, create, once again, a more and more unsafe working environment. And, you know, these New York hedge funders, they're the ones that, <laughs> like, uh, by some mysterious magic, to paraphrase Big Bill Haywood, even though they never set foot in the mines... They didn't find the coal. They didn't mine the coal. But now it's theirs to do with what they will. And not only is the coal's theirs, uh, but the laborers also. And with no pushback at all, if the scabs in the company win. Um, because the union is what has allowed uh, workers to be able to make a good living, to make a safe living, to be able to come home and see their families. Uh, without the union, miners wouldn't be able to do that. And that's the future that awaits the scabs uh, if they win with the company. 
And it's a, a lived reality that many in the country face. It's a future with the boss in total control, with meager wages, with no benefits, uh, with no quality of life, with no time off, things like this. Um, but of, of course, the, the workers, they face more than the mere fact of scabs coming in. Another factor uh, that's even bigger than the scabs, in my estimation, is that, uh, like Larry said, this is a fight against Wall Street and worldwide hedge fund managers. Warrior Met is owned in chunks no larger than 13% by several hedge fund groups, each owing each owning billions, trillions of dollars in assets. Uh, and so this gives Warrior Met the ability to leverage these assets against the losses that the strike is causing them, which is substantial. According to one of the attorneys for the UMWA, uh, if you look at Warrior Met's revenue from 2019 and compare it to 2021, it was down by $400 million. But what's $400 million when you have billions? That makes it all the more important for the people that are supposed to be fighting for us, the Republicans who say that they love coal miners and the Democrats who say that they love unions, to actually fight for us, to stand up for these miners and to bring to bear the power of the state for the workers and not for the boss. Um, the company has also inspired violence against them by the scams. People have been hit numerous times on the picket line, and I've heard of at least one occasion where the miners have been shot at. And of course, these are Alabama coal miners, and they don't exactly uh, take these things lying down. Um, a few of the scabs have seen their windows smashed in retaliation for uh, being run into by the scabs. And I think that's completely justified. Uh, I think that most people would as well. Uh, but this has been used along with the fact that scabs and the bosses have had their feelings hurt to issue unconstitutional restrictions on the right of these workers to peaceably assemble. First, they were limited to 10 to 11 picketers, then to six. And uh, then they banned the practice outright. And now they allow two people on the picket line. Uh, and we can see how this restriction can be bad for morale, but also for community support. You know, we can't count on the news to tell the truth or to focus on workers' struggles, so we have to do it ourselves, and this makes it all the more difficult for people to know what's happening in their own communities. And this isn't the end of the bad things that the state of Alabama has done. They've also offered up our taxpayer-funded colleges to badly train out-of-state scabs. They've offered up the police force as personal escorts for the scabs, even ticketing community members for driving the speed limit in front of these escorts. And now the legislature is moving forward on a bill that would further restrict the right of working people to picket. Eleven leaders of the UMWA and the AFL-CIO were arrested for blocking entrance to one of the mines several months ago. And if this bill were to have, be were to have been law at this time, they would have had a mandatory holding time of 24 hours after arrest. And if they were found guilty, they would have been charged with a felony and had a minimum of 30 days in prison. Uh, so we know that our people in Alabama aren't the only ones facing these things. Injunctions have been issued against unions in the past year for as little as a worry of a thought of potential violence on a picket line and hurt feelings. We've seen these so-called anti-riot bills all across the country as well. Um, but as I wrap up uh, with a, maybe a little bit brighter, the repression isn't the only thing that the strike has in common with workers all across the country. Uh, I believe that you could rightfully say that they kicked off a year of labor unrest, a labor a uh, year of labor protest, a year of worker activism uh, that is really hasn't been paralleled in the last 20 years, at least. If you look 
in the last hundred years, it starts to, uh, you know, it's not as good as it could be. But certainly there was a different feeling. Uh, you had Striketober. You had John Deere workers winning a 20% raise over five years. You had uh, staff writers at the New Yorker magazine winning a 40% raise. You had grad workers in New York winning a 60% raise. And uh, there were, th- and that's just three. <laughs> there was lots of other people who won lots of things last year, and I believe that uh, the UMWA will be uh, the uh, will be the cherry on top after they win, uh, after they win a good and a fair contract. And um, against all these odds, I think that the resolve of the miners is made even more clear. And I also think that this backdrop makes it all the more important to, like Larry said. Uh, to continue doing important things like this, to support these workers in whatever way that we can and whatever way that they ask, compared to the sacrifices that they've made for themselves, for their families, and for their communities, um, and for the people that are going to come after them. Because that's one of the things that unions do, is that we're fighting for people that we don't know, that haven't even been born yet. And that's one of the things that I believe are keeping these people going is that they want the folks who come after them to have a good life. And uh, so I think that doing things like this when we're asked to and where we can, even when we're not asked, it's I think that it's the least that we can do. So um, that's everything that I had prepared. All right. Thank you so much, Jake. Um, just one final question. Um, uh, we don't just just in the last minute here. Um, you know, people don't think a lot, uh, people don't necessarily think of the South um, or Alabama in particular um, as a particularly hotbed of labor activity. Um, but we certainly have seen a lot of it here. Uh, where is a place that people can learn more about uh, uh, labor uh, activity and labor issues in the South, maybe on Saturday mornings? Um, <laughs> yeah, well, um like uh, uh, like I said at the beginning, I you know I, I host the Valley Labor Report. Um, it is a union talk radio program that is run uh, by everybody that's involved in the project is a member of a union. Uh, we are sponsored by unions in the area and national and international federations, and, um, and and we talk about stuff like this every Saturday morning from nine thirty to eleven on YouTube. Facebook and on uh, 92.5 FM in Huntsville. Um, so we just had a good conversation last week with a uh, with a professor from the University of Colorado about the history of mass picketing and the way that it has been um, that the state has really cracked down on it. You know, in, in some ways, the repression that the folks in Alabama are facing isn't new because uh, even union membership was illegal at one point. Um, but in other ways, it is new because it, in a certain point, there was even a Supreme Court ruling, uh, part of an opinion in the Supreme Court, uh, talked about how it was not legitimate to issue an injunction for a few instances of assault, <laughs> right? Because there was some amount of disturbance to be expected from a labor dispute. That, that was just the opinion that, that the highest court in the land in this country had at one point. But now you have people retaliate for getting run over. You have people that get their feelings hurt because they were being called a scab or or other mean names. And you have courts that are willing to um, to restrict people's right to protest, people's right to assemble, people's right to speak. And, um, you know, so uh, we have really come 
we've really come a long way from uh, from where um, from where we were in the middle of the 20th century when when workers had more freedoms, I think, uh, by and large. And so uh, uh, so I hope that we get I hope, I hope that uh, we are beginning on a path with the wins that we saw in 2021 uh, to where we have we have those freedoms again to where we can win more of these material things um, uh, like the folks at John Deere and like the folks at uh, Warrior Matter fighting for. So. Awesome. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for uh, telling us all about that. Um, and again, I will definitely endorse uh, the Valley Labor Report on Saturday mornings and uh, several times on uh, social media channels between then and there. Um, but moving on now, we're going to talk to Hayden Wright next. Um, Hayden is uh, the president of one of the UMWA auxiliaries. Um, and Hayden's going to tell us a little bit about how to organize community support um, during a strike. So Hayden, take it away. Uh, my name is Hayden Knott, and I'm the president for the UMWA for the goals 2035 and 2368. So we've been on strike here at Warrior Met for 313 days now. So this is the longest strike in Alabama history. So I'm going to talk a little bit tonight about solidarity and what that actually means when you're on the front lines and what you could do locally for strikes and then what you could do when strikes aren't close to you. So there's several things you could do. A lot of these have been talked about. Just things as simple as going by and blowing the horn. Stopping even if you have 10 or 15 minutes to pick up a sign and just talk to workers. I think a lot of people are afraid to stop on a picket line. We want to tell you what's happening. We want you to know why we're fighting. And it's easy to cross a picket line. That's a coward's way out. If you decide to cross a picket line, and we've had some, we've had some this past week. We've had a couple of cross. You're telling me you made it through Christmas, you made it through the holidays, and then you're gonna turn around and you're going to go back to a company that mistreated you, a company that made it to where you only saw your families a few hours a week. So you're valuable. So I think it goes back to having self-respect. If you respect yourself, then you're going to know that I'm worth more than this and it's not okay that you treat me this way. And I want my kids to know that it's not okay for people to treat them this way. That sometimes you have to suffer and sometimes things are hard, but it's what's right. And what's right is not always easy. So what we've really been doing in the auxiliary is doing things like this, trying to get the message out about the strike and what we're doing here, but there's such a misconception about when you say coal, a lot of people are like, oh my goodness, well, green energy, you're going to lose your jobs anyway. What people don't understand is here, Warrior Met coal mines metallurgical coal. So what they do is they use it to produce steel. So you use metallurgical coal for coke, which then you turn into steel. So for green energy to happen, if you want solar panels, windmills, infrastructure, right now with the technology we have, it's a product that's really needed. And right now, it's actually at a peak. So Warrior Med is losing a ton of money by not having these guys here. 
And the company is actually offering bonuses to these scabs coming in at $1,500 a month. They're paying them $25 an hour. This is what they put out in their own messaging. So you're telling me you can pay a scab that, but you won't put it in a union contract. Well, what that means is that right now, as we're fighting, you're breaking the benefits because you are too afraid to stand up for yourself. We're fighting for you and for us. Because let's be honest, we're going to have this fight and a few of those guys will still get to stay and reap the benefits. So that's kind of where we're at here. And with the auxiliary, we do pantry bags every week. So we make about 200 pantry bags for families. So we do that every week. We feed families at the rallies. Either we prepare food or we have it prepared locally and then we serve it to members. So we do that every Wednesday at our solidarity rallies. They're held at Brookwood Ballpark at five o'clock. Um, they're open to any supporters who'd like to come out. Then on top of that, we also pick up donations like Grace Klein. We provide baby items like diapers. Guys, you would be shocked at how many young kids we have. I have a seven-year-old and I have a one-year-old. My one-year-old has spent her whole life just about on strike. She spent her whole life at rallies and at the union hall. It's what she knows. So we have a lot of kids that were born during the strike, but that is all they've known from their family. So having that formula, which is expensive, having things like diapers, baby wipes, or things that before and people take for granted that sometimes at the end of the month, we don't have the money for. So having that pantry there to help those families is huge. Um, things like shampoo, conditioner, a razor because you're going for a job interview or you don't have it at home and you've got to work. I mean, that's the kind of thing we provide. We also take locally clothing donations. We had people donate racks and donate clothing. We have it sorted by sizes so people can come in and get their kids clothes because as the weather changes, we don't have the money just to go out and buy new clothing. So for Christmas, that was one of the big things that we did. It wasn't just toys. One of the biggest things people asked for was shoes and jets. So at that event, not only did they get those toys, everybody that attended that event, their kid got a jacket. Their kid got a pair of shoes. I mean, it's those things that through solidarity we've been able to do. And that's incredible. So to be able to say after 10 months, we can still feed families every week. We can still make sure that babies have diapers, that babies have formula. That's only through working class solidarity. That's only through union solidarity. And that's something that if you decide to cross the picket line, if you're a scab, you don't have that. And that lesson and that love and support is more valuable than any amount of money. Knowing that I can lean on a brother or sister or a union sibling, and I can say, hey, I need help, and they're going to be there for me. We have similar experiences, and we're willing to stand together and fight together through the good times and the bad times. Because I can tell you the group of the auxiliary is amazing. Those are my sisters. I love them. We do more than just auxiliary stuff together. Our kids, my daughter calls them her strike cousins because they're together all the time. The union is a family. And you don't turn your back on family, you fight for your family. And that's what we're ready to do here for as long as it takes.
Thank you so much, Hayden, for your leadership on the auxiliary. Um, and thank you so much for demonstrating what solidarity looks like for the rest of us. Um, if you don't follow Hayden on Twitter, uh, you definitely should. Um, I'll get one of our folks to drop it in the chat here. Uh, but it's a great way to keep up with some of the daily ins and outs um, of what's going on, what's going on on the strike. Um, but next, uh, we're going to move along uh, outside of Alabama. Uh, and our, I'd say a very special guest, Kim Kelly, um, who's been covering uh, some of this, uh, some of the strike this whole time. Um, I think starting by accident by being down here for Amazon. Um, uh, but Kim, if you can tell us about uh, tell us about covering the strike, um, in particular about why this uh, why this strike, even though it's been really long, uh, hasn't been something that everybody knows about. Sure, like you said, I kind of stumbled upon it by accident because I was already there covering what was going on with Amazon, and then I heard, oh, there's some coal miners on strike, you know, a few miles down the road. And I was like, okay, well, this will be the next big thing. Let me go get some donuts. Let me show up and, you know, make some friends, see what's going on. And, you know, I met those, just a couple of guys out on the line. That was back when they could have a picket line before the course got involved. So I met these guys, heard their story. And I was like, wow, this is huge. This is so interesting. I need to come back. I need to find out more about this. And so I did. And I kept coming back. I think I've been back maybe... I don't even know five or six times they can't get rid of me at this point i'm like the the pet yankee <laughs> but you know part of what's kept me coming back again and again and hopefully again and then hopefully again once we win is just how intricate and complex the story is like i mean already you're starting out with a group of rural working working class blue collar workers in alabama who are standing up against these corporate interests against these coal bosses who are wringing out every iota of blood and sweat from their bones. Obviously you want to write about that as a labor reporter. And then you add like the community aspect and the political aspect. Like when I first showed up, like I'm not from the South, I'm from somewhere rural, I stick out enough there. And I was like, okay, coming out here, like a bunch of tattoos, clearly didn't vote for Trump, you know, whatever. I'm gonna see what this community is like and see if I can talk to people. And people were so warm and so welcoming. And even if we didn't see eye to eye on certain political issues, that kind of fell by the wayside because of what was happening and the import of their mission. And because, you know, if you want to support workers, you support workers. You don't put caveats on there. And, you know, these guys, have, guys and women and people have become so close to my heart. This story, you know, I've been following it since April. It's uh, it's February. Like Larry said, I think we're on month 11. Pittston is shaking. <laughs> and one thing that's driven me kind of up the wall over these past 11 months, 10 and a half, 11 months, is that often I'm kind of one of the only media voices like beating this drum. And not, and this is just to say, you know, we've had the Valley Labor Report has obviously been all over it because they know more than I ever will about this conflict in this area. We've had other reporters have written about it. Like it's kind of every time there's a bigger event, like when they go to Wall Street or when there's a big Christmas event or when some, there's like a big happening, then there's a little bit more attention, but then it kind of falls off again. But the strike is still happening and the story is still developing. And, you know, I feel like it's been a massive privilege and honor to be able to spend so much time following this story and getting to know people and like 
texting with Hayden at midnight and getting to know see her kids grow. I've seen, yeah, most of <laughs> Avery and Everly's little lives by now. And that's not something you get to do with every labor story, but there's just something about this one that I really wish that more folks were able to to see what I see. And you know, maybe not get so hung up on like like Hayden said, the cold part of things. That is a hard pill for some folks to swallow when it comes to supporting these workers. But as Hayden said, it's not just black and white. And like I said, solidarity means solidarity, you know, not, well, I don't approve of your job. I don't like what you're doing. So does that mean you deserve to suffer? No. I feel like we have political differences. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but you haven't talked to these folks. So how do you know? It's, it's been a really learning experience and I wish there was more attention. I think we're getting more attention. What you guys are doing with this is wonderful. Uh, the DSA folks in Birmingham and surrounding areas have been so great and showed up and been so supportive. And it really is this kind of, this massive community effort, right? But our community is so much bigger than Brookwood. It's like a, you know, it's a big working class union family and we're all doing our best. And I'm just feel, I'm just so grateful I get to be a little itty bitty part of it. Yeah. Um, so, Kim, you're in Philadelphia, right? Um, so I guess, you know, one thing that we'll talk about in just a little bit, but is, you know, how do you show solidarity from afar for, um, you know, when workers are on strike? I think especially as, um, you know, the, the, the striketober, like visible labor actions last fall, um, but also as like Starbucks organizing, you know, seemingly like it's closer and closer, uh, not in Alabama yet, but if you're interested um, and you work at Starbucks, obviously get in touch with us here at DSA. Um, we'll find you the right folks to talk to. Um, but, you know, there's this question of how do you how do you support, um, you know, a, a, a people on strike? How do you support workers from afar when they're facing, um, you know, challenges like this? Um, so, you know, we know that there's, you know, if there's a strike fund, we can donate to it. Um, but beyond donating, like, what does that mean? Um, you know, you, you've done a lot of coverage of some of this stuff. Um, so what, what are you hearing from these various um, labor actions? Well, as, as we mentioned, donating is huge. You know, material support is how we keep things going. But something that I think maybe, and, and Braxton mentioned this, and Hayden mentioned this, the idea of solidarity kind of as a verb, as showing up for people, even if you're far away. You know, so many of us spend a lot of time like calling myself up, but a lot of us spend a lot of time on social media and connecting with people in that way. And it's, it might seem like a tweet doesn't matter, but it really can brighten somebody's day. They can help spread the word. Something that, oh, that really stuck out to me last time I was down there, I interviewed a wonderful man named Greg, and he was talking about how hard it's been seeing kind of the hate that he and the other miners get on Facebook, like on local Facebook communities. And maybe, you know, never spends that much time on Facebook anymore, but a lot of people do. And people are really mean to the striking miners. <laughs> like they don't understand. And just finding ways to, to meet them where they're at and support these folks and show them like, people are watching, you're not alone. We really do care. No one's forgotten about you. That's the biggest thing. Sending a letter to the union hall, sending, you know, making some art. I've seen some really wonderful art going around on Twitter that folks have made to support the miners. Like, I don't know, it's like, what do you do if your best friend lives across the country from you and they're in the middle of a crisis? You find every way you can to reach out and let them know you still love them, you know? it's It can be that personal here or it can be as little as, you know, sending a tweet or retweeting like this fundraiser, you know, that's just free. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I guess the, you know, the final question is if we, you know, if we say that we wanted to learn a little bit more about unions um, and just labor organizing in this country, um, is there is there maybe some kind of book uh, that we could turn to to learn a little bit about like labor history or anything like that? I should be holding it right. <laughs> it's back there somewhere. But I do. I did write a book about uh, all of this, and Hayden's in it, and Braxton's in it, a bunch of our friends down there in it. Um, but yeah, I, I wrote a book called "Fight Like Hell: The Untold History of Labor in America." Uh, Untold History of American Labor. I should know this by now. <laughs> and it focuses on. Yeah, it's kind of like a people's history of labor in this country, focusing specifically on women and black folks, people of color, disabled folks. Uh, incarcerated workers, sex workers, everyone who kind of somehow gets left out of the story when the history books are written, I wanted to write that book. And I did, and it comes out in April. And um, yeah, I tweet about it a lot. So you can follow me on Twitter for that. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much, Kim, um, for uh, joining us from Philadelphia, but, um, but for sharing about your experience covering uh, the strike here um, and sort of connecting it to the everything else that's going on in, in labor. Um, so I just very briefly, I just wanted to talk a little bit about DSA's role um, in, you know, supporting this particular strike, um, but also just supporting any kind of labor action, um, you know, in whatever neighborhood your DSA chapter's in. Um, you know, this this particular strike has been a little challenging for our chapter to support. Um, not uh, because of ideology or anything like that, but because of the picket injunctions um, that's made it, you know, it makes it a little bit difficult to, to show up on the picket line and support in person. Um, you know, the Delta variant, uh, you know, and COVID has, I think, changed a lot of things for, um, you know, for a lot of chapters trying to, you know, show in-person support. Um, but we've tried to stay, you know, stay supportive with, you know, with mutual aid support, with funding, um, you know, and donations where we can. Um, you know, but as we as we're into this, you know, the new 2022 year, um, you know, us and uh, Charleston DSA in particular um, in North Alabama, you know, started to talk with each other and say, you know, we, we had all visited the strike at some some time or another um, and saying, like, what can we do to try and bring a stronger DSA voice behind this? Um, and, you know, DSA is is still also experimenting with, like, what does strike support look like? Um, particularly over a longer period of time, uh, particularly, you know, not necessarily with a lot of in-person support. What does it look like beyond, uh, you know, simply setting up a donation fund? Um, and so part of this has been that, you know, we've been, we've been reaching out to, um, you know, DSA chapters uh, across the South, um, large and small, uh, trying to get folks to first, you know, understand more about the strike. Um, because as Kim said, it's not been something that has really been covered outside of very dedicated labor media. Um, so, you know, first is to first is to share um, and educate everybody else um, about the strike, particularly people who, um, you know, are interested in labor, or maybe they're interested in, um, you know, other, you know, other issues that are centered around the working class, um, but maybe they're not super familiar with with labor. Um, as Jacob said, um, you know, part of the legislation in the state house in Alabama right now, um, and it's coming to a state house near you, um, is designed to criminalize protests, um, you know, in the wake of the George Floyd uprising. And, 
specifically targeting, you know, protesters against, you know, anti-racist uh, or you know, racist policing of I mean, anti-racist protesters. Um, but as it turns out, that has a much wider um, impact than just a you know specific group of organizers. It impacts everybody in the working class, you know, who, who organizes um, and flexes the power that we all have, which is you know our strength, our solidarity, and our numbers. Um, so I think for you know for DSA in a particular you know in a chapter that's nearby a labor action, or for a DSA member or a chapter um, who who knows about um, an action from afar, um, educating each other. Um, sending, you know, sending letters of solidarity, uh, sending donations. If there's not a place to send donations, making sure that there is a place to send donations. Um, all of those things are are great. But you know, as we as we always say in you know working class organizing, it's our strength comes from each other. Our strength comes from our numbers, and our strength comes from our connections and solidarity with each other. Um, so as much as we can. Um, you know, we've, we've tried to reach out to chapters all across the South and we're getting uh, a lot of love and solidarity. Um, you know, everyone, obviously, again, feel free to drop your uh, name and location in the chat. We love seeing uh, the solidarity from afar. Um, but uh, right now, we're going to uh, take a quick look through some of these questions um, and I will uh, put them to some of our folks who are uh, still with us on the panel here. Um, Question from uh, Morgan uh, in Alabama. What was the messaging from management to the union in 2016 um, around the acquisition uh, by the private equity firms? Uh, that seems to have been the impetus for the bankruptcy and the pay and the benefit cuts. Um, are there any lessons in that process for workers um, facing a similar situation? Um, Maybe that's a question for Braxton, if you can uh, answer, you know, what were you hearing? Um, you know, what was the perspective that um, y'all had as uh, as the company was giving you the, the you know, the runaround with the bankruptcy? Yeah, you know, it was something that was kind of forced on us by the bankruptcy judge. You know, they said you would either accept the uh, the concessions and uh, the con the contract that the bankruptcy judge pretty much come up with, or that uh, we just go out without a union, you know. So we, uh, <clears throat> yeah, the, and, and yeah, not just concessions, but the you know the, the retirees was going to lose their pensions, you know. Uh, there, yeah, the bankruptcy was, you know, going to put them out free and clear. You know, that would also, that meant retirees would use, lose their uh, health insurance card, which is one of the things, that, you know, that coal miners worked so hard for for so many years was their, you know, insurance and their pensions. You know, if it wasn't for the UMWA, he went to D.C. and fighting constantly, you know, the, the retirees would have lost their pensions. But, uh, you know, it was just... To see a judge, you know, just so blatantly, you know, just, you know, side with the company and with not against the workers, you know, to, to accept this, you know, less than par contract, you know, it's just, uh, you know, unacceptable. But, uh, you know, the company, you know, the company made promises that the next contract, you know, if business picked up, if things were better, you know, economy was better, that they would, uh, you know, they'd make it right with a contract. And then, uh, when it come time for the contract, they actually wanted us to take, you know, more concessions. So, you know, that's when uh, we voted to go on strike and, uh, 
they come up with this little pitiful, you know, contract that uh, they put together, and uh, we voted like ninety-seven percent, you know, to d- decline that uh, that first offer, and we've been fighting them ever since, and, uh, and we're going to fight them one day longer than they can they can hold out. Oh yeah, solidarity. Um, we're going to hold out. Um, another question here is. Um, are you allowed to pick it? I know that we've talked a little, little bit about some of the injunctions, um, but I think Hayden, you have a pretty, you've given me a pretty good rundown of the, uh, of the injunctions. Um, so we'll send it to you. Can you uh, tell us about um, what the process of the picket has been like um, so far? The company tried going limited to pickets right from the get-go. We actually were able to get it to six and it increased at one time to 10. It's been back and forth constantly with them trying to suppress our right to assemble. That's all it is. They're actually breaking your constitutional rights. They're taking those away. And it got to the point in November, um, the company had put out an edited video that the media firm that Kim was, I think Kim had posted in the chat, had put out for them. And tried to paint it like violence had like increased in the past couple of weeks. The problem is those videos actually were from the beginning of the strike. Those weren't new videos. And the way they were portrayed didn't actually show the entirety of the events that had taken place. So in November, a judge actually placed a temporary restraining order, so not an injunction, an actual TRO, not just on individuals that were identified as having done something, let's say, on the picket line, you know, something that hurt the company's feelings, you got to get her out. So what that did, they said that no UMWA member could pick it, and not only UMWA members, but it also included supporters, the auxiliary, and anyone who would have been in coercion with us. So, for example, if you talk to me and you're like, hey, can we go pick it? And I would have said, yeah, that's great. Here, you could have also been held in contempt of court. So what it did is it completely shut down the picket lines. So we were back and forth in court trying to deal with that. In December, they said, okay, well, y'all can have two people per picket line, but only where the company says you can be, which is 300 yards away, not feet, yards. So 300 yards away from any entrance, any exit, or any place where Warrior Met does business. So again, basically eliminating your right to assemble and your right to free speech. Um, that was eventually done away with. Now we can have people in the picket lines, like Jacob, I think, mentioned, we can have two. But the judge says we're not allowed to have a vehicle. Our picket lines drag 120 miles. So you're telling me you want two people on a picket line in places with no cell reception? Troy, we've already been shot at we've already had people run down with trucks but you're going to put two people there along with no cell reception no vehicle so what we have been doing is we have pickets actually now set up in brookwood to where we're outside those injunction limits and can have more people there so we do have pickets going so if you drive through brookwood see umwa there we're back we're not going anywhere we have solidarity rallies every wednesday together there in brookwood on the ball field to where there's anywhere from 200 to 500 of us there so 
the company tried to do didn't work. It didn't divide us. We're still here standing strong and we're ready to play the game and fight back for as long as it takes. All right. Thank you, Hayden. I'm so sorry that uh, it sounds like a not, not, not everybody's having a good time on your end. Um, uh, but uh, is Jacob with us? Um, Jacob, um, I had a question. Okay, I had a question. Um, let's bring you um, so that everyone can see you here. All right. Um, so Jacob, uh, you you talk on your show a lot about the uh, how how little support um, the miners in Brookwood have gotten from any political uh, officials, um, particularly uh, political officials in our state who like to file spend a lot of taxpayer money filing lawsuits about uh, like. Uh, vaccines or uh, stopping the steel or things like that. Uh, can you talk about the just this big political vacuum um, of, of no support for uh, for the miners here in Alabama and, and kind of what that means, you know? Yeah, well, it, you know, the the vacuum is is huge um, from from people who, you know, I mean, you've got uh, talk radio hosts are a dime a dozen, right? And and basically they're all conservative. And um, I and I listen to talk radio pretty regularly, and I I I keep up with the scene in Alabama. I think, and I am not aware of a single instance of one talk radio host in the state other than me supporting these workers the most that i've seen is a tepid agreement when i have been on one of their segments where they said yeah that that sounds that sounds pretty bad company sounds like it's bad hope they win and that's it that's like it nothing else no no follow-up uh when they're on their own you know um and that was only one segment that that you that 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 I heard that tepid agreement from this person that I'm thinking of, and they spend their time. I mean, it, it, you know, the I, I wrote an article for Labor Notes, kind of talking about the how much time these people spend on cancel culture or free speech or things like this, and it's always it's not. First Amendment stuff. It's not the government suppressing speech. It's always like people are sad that they got criticized or that this private platform isn't wanting to publish their work. And which is, you know, that's fine. We can talk about that. And, and maybe maybe that's valid and maybe it's not. I don't. But um, what we're looking at in Brookwood is legitimate state state suppression of speech. Um, and nobody nobody cares about it. Uh, as far as these talk radio hosts are concerned, these politicians are concerned, they don't care about it. And then and, and they spend their time on the radio shows defending a half billionaire L.A. podcaster from, uh, for, uh, you know, and, and they won't mention anything about coal miners in their own state. 
And they like to, the, the, you know, they say that they're, uh, you know, I'm the one supporting the Alabama working class. And, like, you haven't talked to a, a worker in Alabama your whole life, probably. The only people you talk to are business owners. And it's it's incredibly frustrating. And the same the same can be said for the politicians. I've um, I've tried to reach out to uh, to politicians. There was one. I think it was Jerry Carl. I reached out to his office. Um, I, I met, it was one of the Congress Congress people and it wasn't Mo Brooks. And he said, I don't interfere in private negotiations. And literally the next week after he told me this in an email, uh, he issued a statement about how it's bad that, <laughs> that this corporation is, is firing workers for, uh, not adhering to their vaccine mandate, which is like, you know, again, we could talk about that, and that's a separate discussion, and, and like maybe that's fine, maybe it isn't. But the hypocrisy, it's so strange that they're so willing to, to, or, well, I mean, it's not really strange because they're willing to talk about these other things because they don't impact the people that support their programs, the people that, that write the check for their campaigns and the people that advertise on their programs. Talking about whether or not Joe Rogan is being criticized doesn't hurt them. Talking about... uh coal miners in Alabama that are actually fighting for themselves and their communities and their co-workers and their families, that's something that can inspire other people to action. That's something that, that can actually affect the bottom line of places like Warrior Met and their, um, and their owners. So, you know, uh, uh, it's, it, it is very frustrating, though, the hypocrisy of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think it also, you know, it it demonstrates again, um, you know, what we talk about in DSA a lot, um, which is just that, uh, you know, when it comes to the working class, uh, you know, or we don't, not even just DSA, we talk about it, you know, over, uh, throughout the labor movement, throughout, um, throughout the working class organizing is that there, there are, there are two sides. There are workers and the bosses. Like there are two sides, you know, for us as, you know, as socialists, there are, there's the working class and there's the capitalist class, the owning class. Um, and it's, it's pretty clear um, which side, you know, the politicians are on and it's pretty clear in service of uh, which class, you know, those sort of uh, talking head interests are. But uh, we are going to go live to Braxton, who I believe has his, uh, his union vote in hand for BHM1 at the uh, Bessemer uh, Amazon warehouse. So let's bring Braxton up to the front now um, and tell us, tell us what's going on, Braxton. Yes, yeah, so today we got our, uh, we got our ballots in the mail and uh, I'm gonna go ahead and sign mine real quick. If we can get it to focus in, I'm not sure if it'll focus enough. All right. Braxton has voted union yes. <laughs> for, uh, for the Bessemer Amazon warehouse to be represented by RWDSU. Yes. They uh, uh, said unions stand with unions, you know, all together we are one union at the end of the day. You know, we may have different titles, we may have different jobs, but at the end, uh, we're all working class and uh, 
we're all the same union. That's awesome. Um, well, thank you all so much for uh, saving that moment for us here. Um, let's go to Kim for one final question. And Kim, um, the question is, uh, this is from a chat earlier. Um, it was a question about the Pittston strike. Um, the, uh, the question was, are, are they coming down on hard with fines? Um, and I believe the answer is that there's not a fine, but can you just talk a little bit about the Pittston strike um, and sort of the comparison here? No, no pressure. Oh boy, <laughs> just one of the most important strikes in the MDA history. I wish I could grab my book and page through real quick. But um, well, like the like we said, the difference is they were getting fined to hell and back. And here, the way the injunctions are set up, it's more like like the threat of a fine. Like the oh man. So a few months ago in the summer, after a number of UMWA leaders, including international president Cecil Roberts, they sat down and blocked the entrance to the mines. And it was, it was like a civil dis disobedience situation. It was planned. There was no violence or anything. But they all got arrested and they got sent to Tuscaloosa County Jail overnight, which seemed like it was much less, uh, much less fun than the, the blocking part. But after that, one of the, the many injunctions that came out after that, the one that came after that specific incident, uh, it noted like new stipulations of like $50,000, $100,000, dollars fines for people that engage in that activity. And I think it specifically mentioned or like basically mentioned the leaders of that who had done that. So it's less, you know, I think in Piston, it was like, okay, this is happening here. It's more like, well, if you don't, you know, if you don't behave, we'll slap you with a fine. A lot of the folks who've been called in for contempt of court, like, that's not cheap. That's not free. That's time and that's money and that's fines. It's more of like, essentially Warrior Met has been using their cozy relationship with the business community in Brookwood and the courts and the cops and basically all of the, the anti-worker interests locally to use the threat of financial ruin and jail time to try and keep these folks in line. Obviously it hasn't worked because we're on month 11 but that's kind of the difference. It was a sort of a sure thing back then, but right now it's more of a, well, you know, I would hate to do this, but that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thanks for that little, uh, that little his quick history uh, comparison. Um, so with that folks, um, I think we are going to uh, start to close us out for this DSA for the Miners event. Thank you so much to everyone who has uh, joined the call and stuck it out all the way through the end. Um, we sincerely appreciate uh, the solidarity. Um, I know that all of our panelists do, um, but certainly we in Birmingham DSA, I can speak for a chapter for sure. Uh, the solidarity that we've gotten from across the South and across the country from, uh, from everybody, DSA folks and, uh, and beyond. Um, has been really great in these last like couple weeks that we've been sort of putting this effort together. Um, everything that we raise through uh, the GoFundMe is going to the striking miners um, at UMWA. Um, we can't wait for uh, that to uh, help deposit a new strike fund check um, in everybody's accounts um, so that we can get one day, uh, one day longer, stay in one day stronger. 
Um, so if you uh, look to the chat, if you haven't made a donation yet and you can, every little bit helps. Um, if you've got $5 to spare, uh, please send it uh, to the UMWA um, so that we can, uh, we can show our strength um, and that through this DSA-led fundraiser, uh, we can show that that solidarity with the working class uh, has no boundaries, no borders, um, no no sense of difference, but just one strong union, one strong working class. Um, if you are interested in, uh, if you're interested in uh, DSA, you're doing things like this, somebody will drop the uh, DSA link in the chat um, just to get connected with folks in your area. Um, but absolutely um, make a donation uh, to the GoFundMe on your way out. And we will be closing this down um, in just a second. Um, panelists, everyone can come off mute if you like and uh, do a big solidarity shout. Um, but thank you again, everybody, for being here. <laughs> maybe maybe the right family <laughs> doesn't need to come off mute yet. But uh, um, oh, I just saw a question in the chat. If uh, once the fundraiser is completed, how can you donate? We're going to keep this fundraiser open um, through the rest of February. Um, even if we hit the goal, we'll just keep it open until the end of the month. Um, and then if the, uh, if the strike is not completed at that point, um, we will uh, drop the PayPal link um, for the UMWA auxiliary in the chat. Also, umwa.org, there's a strike fund on the website, too. Yes, you can also donate uh, to the International Strike Fund at umwa.org. Um, either of those are going to get to the miners, but the strike fund is definitely, it builds up um, and gets into the miners. So. All right. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining. Have a good night. Carry this solidarity back to your corner of the country. Mm -hmm.